It's democracy versus fascism. It couldn't be clearer than that. Also, we have new January 6th deposition testimony, which was released earlier this morning. We're going to talk about some of the key new insights from that deposition testimony. And there are two fascist Republican rallies that took place this weekend, one in Arizona, the traveling circus of insurrection that is the Trump rallies. And then we have the Hitler Youth Rally, I I mean, the Turning Points event in Tampa with actual Nazis waiting out front with swastikas and other Nazi paraphernalia as individuals were greeted. Of course, no condemnation from DeSantis or anybody inside the turning points. In fact, that's what they actually wanted to have happened in front of turning points. And then we should just talk about the fact that the media is failing us. I, I can't stress that enough. The mainstream media continues to be impotent as fascism thrives across this country they need to call it out and stop with this both sideism and someone who has called it out olivia troy yeah olivia troy Let's is go. our guest on today's midas touch podcast of course you know olivia who resigned after working with Penn, she was on the coronavirus task force. She was a national security advisor to Penn. She resigned in August of 2020, was a major whistleblower, a major voice from democracy when we needed it the most at that critical moment. And Olivia Troy will talk about the January 6th findings. She's friends with a lot of those staffers who testified. She's friends with Sarah Matthews, friends with Cassidy Hutchins, another she was at three of the January 6th hearings herself. She was there live um, when it was actually happening in person. So we will talk to her about that great podcast episode, but not great things happening in our country when it comes to the Republican fascism movement. Some great things coming from the Democratic Party, the pro-democracy movement. But as I watched this weekend, Brett, and I saw that traveling insurrection circus, when I saw what was going on in Tampa at this Turning Points Youth rally, whatever you want to call that, some real alarming signs. I mean, it's it's just truly, truly horrifying. And I'm glad that you position it the correct way to position it, which is the Republican fascist movement. That's exactly what it is. And the problem with the way things are reported is that, you know, things are reported as if Republicans, oh, there's a liberal party, the Democrats, and there's the conservative party, the Republicans. And that just is not the case anymore. And I understand that there are journalists out there who are afraid to flat out call the Republican party a fascist party because they'll say, oh, well, that's going to make people think that I am liberal biased if I am calling them that. But at what point do you start calling them that? What does it take? They are literally flying Nazi flags outside of the rally. They have actual Nazis outside of the Turning Point USA rally. Trump is preaching fascism at his rally. Trump is planning to literally overthrow the government, trying to push out lifelong State Department employees, put people, his own lackeys, into the government so that they will do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. At what point do you not call a spade a spade? When do you just say, yes, this is a fascist movement? And that right there, that's more dangerous to this country than any other problem facing our country right now. And it's important that people are aware of this. You need to, you're not being honest with your audience if you're not mm-hmm. sounding the alarm on the Republican fascist movement. And that's what we are here to do. And that's what we do here at Midas Touch every single day. 
Jordy Hanna. And I want to go back to the Nazi flags and the other Nazi symbolism at this Turning Point USA rally. I haven't seen a single Republican really denounce what happened over the nope. weekend. And you know why? It's their base. That's why. And it's just such a sad thing to see. And you know what? So you have, if you want to know what conservative actually, you know, meant, you know, we could disagree with him all we want, but Rusty Bowers, right? The speaker of the Arizona House is conservative. Like, but now he's viewed as a rhino. The Republican Party now, which is the fascist party in Arizona, run by Kelly Ward, who was the opening speaker at this insurrection circus that took place in Arizona on Friday. Kelly Ward censured him called him Rusty Bowels um, because he's he's an older gentleman. So that was the nickname Rusty Bowels. And the uh, right wing is that immature that that's how they refer to people. Rusty Bowels. They're toddlers. Cens censured him and then are primarying him because he testified before the January 6th committee. And they said that he's not a Republican. Just let's play the clip of uh, Kelly Ward, who is the leader of the Republican Party in Arizona from the insurrection circus that is the Trump rally. Play that clip. Hey, stand up if you're ultra mega! Ultra mega! Woo! Hey, I'm a proud member of the Orange Mafia! Okay, so there she is calling it the Orange Mafia, whatever. No, what uh, is the Orange Mafia? That's the new one to me. All right. So I mean, I know what it is, but that's insane. And then just play the clip right now of Trump on Rusty Bowers and saying that he's a rhino. Play that clip. He's running against a rhino coward named Rusty Bowers. David Farnsworth is going to do the job. Rusty Bowers. He's a rhino coward who participated against the Republican Party in the totally partisan unselect committee of political thugs and hacks the other day and disgraced himself and he disgraced the state of Arizona. So there is no room whatsoever because he testified truthfully in front of the January 6th committee that Trump called him and told him to overthrow the results of the election. That's what Rusty Bauer testified to. That's all he said. Trump called me, wanted me to overthrow. I told him I didn't have the ability to do that under the Arizona Constitution. And that's why they're calling him a rhino. That's why they're calling him a rhino. And now just I want to focus on some of the clips of just what took place at the youth rally uh, that took place in Tampa. So this is Matt Gates, who was one of the keynote speakers leading up to Trump's. This is what Matt Gates said about women who are pro-choice. You watched these pro-abortion, pro-murder rallies? The people are just disgusting. Like, why is it that the women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions? Nobody wants to impregnate you if you look like a thumb. These people are odious on the inside and out. They're like 5'2", 350 pounds, and they're like, give me my abortions or I'll get up and march and protest. And I'm thinking, march? You look like you got ankles weaker than the legal reasoning behind Roe versus Wade. A few of them need to get up and march. They need to get up and march for like an hour a day. Swing those arms. Get the blood pumping. Okay. 
And this is what Matt Gates said about supporting Ukraine. I would far rather go to war over the monarch butterfly than deciphering what guy in a tracksuit gets to run Crimea oceans away. The case for America's interest is far more clear with the butterfly. So I just want to, you know, talk about what their views are. So their views are that America should not be supporting Ukraine, that essentially Russia should just take over all of Europe. That that that's fine. Let Russia control the world and let's treat women how horrifically can you even th- we always talked about it at the end of the day, Republican hate women. That's really what it comes down yeah. to. I mean, and how could you listen to someone like a Matt Gates as any self-respecting person and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's someone who I support. I mean, Matt Gates, who's currently under a DOJ sex crime investigation for raping and sex trafficking an underage girl. Is speaking and saying those horrific things about women. And he is a leader of the Republican Party. I just want to say it in those terms. He is the leader of the Republican Party. And Republicans are just going to constantly come after every group in America. And the more marginalized you are, the more likely they are to come after you. And what a lot of people on the right are still trying to hang on to is, okay, yes, there is this crazy faction, whatever, but guess what? I'm making a ton of money off this movement, so Mm -hmm. it's okay here. I could keep profiting. I could keep riling these people up, but it's never going to touch me because I'm me. Everyone loves me. And the me in this scenario that I should probably bring up probably more than anybody else is Ben Shapiro, who thinks it's okay to fire up this movement, to target gays, to target same-sex marriage, to really just use his vitriol, use the vitriol of his followers in order to attack marginalized groups. And what's happening now? It's finally catching up to people like Ben Shapiro. We saw over the weekend, Doug Mastriano, who is running for governor of Jordy, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, your state, and the Gab CEO, Andrew Torba. He had a little message for right-wing Jewish commentators, including Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin. And he told them directly, he said, you are not welcome in our movement unless you, quote, repent and renounce your Jewish faith. That is the Republican Party in 2022, from Nazi flags outside of their rallies to this message within their party. This is the message that they are saying to Marjorie Taylor Greene going out there in her speeches now going, yes, the Republican Party. We are the party of Christian nationalists, and we should be proud to be the party of Christian nationalists. These are the things that you really need to take to heart. And these are the things that people need to be aware of, because these are the real things that are going to affect people in their daily lives. They are coming for you. They wake up every single morning and they try to decide not how to make life better for Americans, but what other group can we come after next today? That's why you wake up so stressed every day and you see, you know, who's trending today? Oh, why are they trending? Oh, today they're trying to get rid of abortion. Tomorrow they're trying to get rid of same-sex marriage. The next day they're trying to get rid of contraception. Then they're trying to lock up Dr. Fauci. It's all about how can we restrict the freedoms of the American people? 
And eventually, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And right now, if you are a Republican Party voter, if you have Republican Party voters in your family, they will come for them eventually. And when they do come for them, guess what? It's going to be too late. If they don't speak up now, it's going to be too late. Yeah, your point about coming for Dr. Fauci, let's just play the clip of the Republican leading Senate, one of the Republican leading Senate candidates. Um, um, What's the guy's name? Masters. Do you know what his first name is? Blake Masters. Blake Masters. Play this clip. This was at the insurrection rally in Arizona. This is what got a rousing applause from the audience about Dr. Fauci. And I promise you, we are going to investigate and prosecute Anthony Fauci. Yeah, that's one of their major points is their, their point isn't even that, hey, I think that the federal government shouldn't mandate vaccines, even though there was never actually a mandate. It was always a, you know, either you get it or you can be tested during the uh, or get tested regularly. It's like, who's like, I don't want to even be tested. I just want to go and spread it with no testing whatsoever. But they're not even it's not even a nuanced, a nuanced argument. Right. The argument is literally the top health official in the United States government. You know, the person who helped get under control, the AIDS epidemic, the individual who's dealt with H1N1, the individual who's dealt with one, the person who's been there throughout all, who served dutifully for like four decades, yeah. who's 81 years old right now, who's a scientist, who's a doctor, who helps us. They want to lock that person up. They want to throw him in jail and give him a serious jail term. Why? Because he gave accurate information and gave the most up-to-date science during a COVID pandemic. I mean, how disturbed can you be? Because they made Donald Trump look bad. Because Fauci, by presenting the facts as to what was going on, made Donald Trump's handling of the pandemic look bad. And when you're in a cult, if somebody makes you look bad, you go after them and you try to imprison them. And that's why it is a fascist movement which and it's is the what... same playbook that we're seeing with the gen 6 committee anyone who's presenting the facts is deemed a rhino and now fauci i mean yo fauci with his family i mean when he's behind closed doors he's got to be looking around at like his his wife his, his kids like yo what what the fuck is going on yeah These all i did was serve this country ludicrous. yeah i served this country as a public servant for like four decades, four decades to give accurate information about what was happening with diseases. I, every president, no one even knew. I mean, people would know who Dr. Fauci was, but he was always like, and I think they asked this to George H.W. Bush back in like the, the late 80s, early 90s. Like, who is someone who most Americans would never know of who's a true hero? And George H.W. Bush goes, oh, it's Dr. Fauci, because here's the work he does behind the scenes and behind the scenes, the work he did with the swine flu and H1N1, and all these things to try to keep it under control. And here you have, you know, the global pandemic that hits and Republicans reactions. Let's lock that person up. I mean, it's beyond insane. Also want to play the clip speaking about insane. You know, you talked about uh, Republicans not realizing or just being, you know, ignorant to the fact that they're going to come for you eventually. Like fascists, first they came from this group, then they came from that group, and then they came for me. You have this Ben Shapiro tweet, Brett, was one of the things I think you're referencing, which he basically attacks same-sex marriage. That's the big Republican rallying call. Not 
how do we make wages better for people or how do we improve the economy or how do we lower gas prices or how do we unite our allies abroad? No, no, no. How do we deal with climate change? Let's not focus on real issues, you know, that 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 we could help people with. Let's focus on how we can take away rights. So now and Democrats were right to put these bills before Congress um, the same way people were saying, well, Democrats should have put bills to codify Roe v. Wade, even though all of the Supreme Court justices lied about what their positions on settled law was. It's unprecedented that you have Supreme Court precedent like Roe v. Wade that gets just overturned and just totally ignored. That's against the law. And then everybody literally lied about it. All the Republican nominees that is lied about it when they were under oath. But Democrats were right. So they put a bill that says we're going to protect same sex marriage and interracial marriage and Republicans vote against it. Democrats put a bill. We're going to protect contraception. Republicans vote against it. So you have this Ben Shapiro tweet saying that it shouldn't be a right to have same sex marriage. And I want to play this clip from Pete Buttigieg, uh, what he spoke about. Um, and this really touched me. It was so heartfelt when he talks about how, you know, here I am as the transportation secretary, just trying to make roads better, better infrastructure, help our airports. Right. I'm speaking with Republican colleagues. And then after they talk to me, they go and they take a vote to take away my marriage. They vote against me being a human. Let's play the clip. Look, this is really, really important to a lot of people. It's certainly important to me. I I started my day as as I try to do on weekends. Uh, I try to give Chaston a little bit of a break and do breakfast with with both of our our twins. Uh, And uh, uh, that alone, that's no small thing. uh, As every parent of of small kids knows, Uh, it was one of those days where the tray table wasn't quite uh, fitting into the high chair. And uh, I'm trying to make sure that they're busy enough with their little cereal puffs to give me enough time to chop up the banana and get the formula ready. And and it just, I don't know, that half hour my morning had me thinking about how much I depend on and count on my spouse every day. And our marriage deserves to be treated equally. And I don't know why this would be hard for a senator or a congressman. I don't understand how such a majority of, of House Republicans voted no on our marriage on as recently as Tuesday, hours after I was in a room with a lot of them talking about transportation policy, having what I thought were perfectly normal conversations with, with many of them on that subject, only for them to go around the corner and say that, uh, that my marriage doesn't deserve to continue. If they don't want to spend a lot of time on this, they can vote yes and move on. And that would be really reassuring for a lot of families around America, including mine. Do you know how damaging that would be to families? I mean, it would literally tear families apart. It would tear kids away from their parents. For a party that considers themselves the pro-family party, this is the most anti-family, anti-marriage thing that you could possibly do. And it's disgusting and it's just rooted in hatred and bigotry. And when you have somebody like Ben Shapiro 
spouting this. What they're also doing is I think they're trying to set the stage for arguments using the same arguments that they used to overturn Roe v. Wade, which is that there was no historical precedent for this back in the day when the Constitution was written. That's what they're going to harken back to. Oh, well, this wasn't a historical thing in America. Uh, Yeah, we also had slavery back then. We also had a lot of things that needed to be corrected. That's why the Constitution has amendments. That's why the Constitution is an evolving document. And that's why our society has progressed since we started as a nation. And that is a good thing, but they want to really take us back to those days when the only people who had power were straight white men with money. I mean, that's literally what they are saying when they make these arguments. They are saying that only what existed way back then, that's what we want right now. And anyone who has gotten rights, anyone who tries to share in that American dream, uh-uh, not anymore. For you, you got to go back of the line. You got to go back to the way things were. And that's really Shapiro's vision of America and the Republican right wing fascist vision of America that we're seeing right now. But they're so disingenuous, too. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I know here when I say they're so disingenuous, I'm preaching to the choir a bit, and it's probably <laughs> the biggest understatement in the world that they're being disingenuous. But yeah, let's view, let's make it our historical view, though, of what history is. So let's just kind of pick and choose. So this one's good for us. This one's good for us. But, you know, when it comes to guns, even though AR-15s and these weapons of war, they weren't around when the Constitution was written. Let's just say when it comes to those, the the founders knew that there were going to be AR-15s. They knew they'd be (laughs) weapons of war. Clearly, the conception of guns in the late 18th century was the conception of guns right now in the present time, right? That that, that makes sense right there. So it just, they alternate whenever it benefits them. Oh, then we're strict textualists. Where should we, 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 every word matters. Okay, well, what about the word well-regulated militia? Well, those words don't matter well-regulated militia. It's the word guns, the right to guns and bear arms. That's all that matters in it. So they pick and choose what benefits them. And their whole vision is let's not look at the effect anymore of how it affects us today. Let's consult the magical Oracle of what we think the founders would say. Oracle of the founders. (laughs) That's what they do. That's the test. You you remember that scene from the movie? This is what I think that this is really, you know, what scoundrels do. Remember the scene from the movie 300 where they go and they climb, they have to like climb the cliff and the Oracle tells them whether or not there's going to like win the war or not. And they have to consult the Oracle who's just a, a BS snake oil salesman. That's the Republicans conception of the law. You have to climb the you have to climb the mountain, go speak to the fascist oracles. And they say the founders would have said. No gay marriage. The founders would have said AR-15s everywhere. It's whatever they want the result to be. And it's absurd and it's stupid. But look, the one thing I'm glad it's not all doom and gloom. I'm glad that we have the January 6th committee doing what the January 6th committee should be doing. And it really shows that when you have pro-democracy coalitions working together, you could really expose in the biggest way what this fascist right wing is all about, which is about weakness, which is about hypocrisy, which is about harming this country. And someone who has been on the forefront of calling out these weak despots from the outset is Olivia Troy. And so I'm honored to have Olivia Troy on the podcast. So why don't we bring in our interview with Olivia 
try. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by someone who really needs no introduction. We have Olivia Troy joining the Midas Touch podcast again. Of course, I'll give a little introduction. That is my job, I suppose, <laughs> as the host of uh, this podcast. Remember, Olivia Troy resigned from working for Vice President Pence. She was on the coronavirus task force. She provided advice as a counterterrorism advisor to Mike Pence in the Trump administration. She resigned in August 2020. Got to give props for that, seeing what was going on. Olivia has been a friend of the Midas Touch podcast ever since, and it's great to have her back on to talk about January 6th, what she's doing now and more. Welcome to the podcast, Olivia Troy. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. It's so good to be back. I am a big fan. Um, love the Midas podcast. You guys do good work, and I just appreciate um, your voices, and I appreciate you getting other voices out there too. It's such important work right now, um, especially given everything that's going on. So, and you guys are also funny too. So I like listening to you. <laughs> we, we try occasionally. We're big fans of you, Olivia. Olivia, what have you been up to lately? What's going on in Olivia's world? I'm still out here kind of trying to uh, beat the pro-democracy <laughs> drum uh, and, you know, trying to uh, sort of stand against uh, a lot of these enablers and uh look and against donald trump himself he just uh i guess that whole teflon don thing um I, i'm starting to i'm starting to wonder if it's actually true because it seems like he's uh he considers himself above the law and thus far um hopefully at some point he won't be and i think that's uh like i've been very supportive of the january 6th committee's work uh, the, the fact finding there and the investigation, I think it, I think it's really important to just uh, get this information out to Americans so that we really understand what happened there. So, yeah. And other than that, um, just working in the space and also supporting others who have come forward, which is really important to me. It's a very lonely space. Um, I'll say uh, thank goodness that I had you all to, <laughs> to stand by me along the way at times. Um, I certainly had some some colleagues come forward with me at the time, um, but really no one from from the White House itself. And and that was hard. You know, I came forward and you're sitting out there and you're like, guys, anyone, any we all we all know the truth. And it was like Bueller, Bueller, crickets, <laughs> anyone and no one dead. But so I'm grateful. I'm grateful that there are some voices now coming forward and they're testifying. And I think uh, like these firsthand accounts are very important. And I'm you know, super grateful for Cassidy Hutchinson, who is so brave and courageous. Um, and I say that just because it is very hard in today's times, as you all know, I'm sure you guys get the death threats at times too. Uh, so, you know, that's, uh, that's the norm, it seems these days. And people like Sarah Matthews and others who um, uh, have made their voices known and who are, who are playing an important role, I think, um, for our country. Now, the superstars of the January 6th committee hearing so far have really been the women who have stepped up, the women who have worked within the administration, who have been unafraid, who have been unapologetic and who have stepped forward to tell the truth. You know, just anecdotally, when I was looking at Ukraine, I was saying, well, what's the secret sauce that Ukraine has? And I saw a photo of their parliament and I saw all these young women and older women and women of all ages in the Ukrainian parliament. I said, that's it. It's it's it's, you know, yes, Zelensky's out there, but that's like more women than men on the parliament or more women who have top roles. And then in the January 6th committee, 
where's the courage coming? Where's the force coming? You know, of course, you have Liz Cheney. Um, you have, you know, a representative Luria, who was highlighted a nuclear submarine uh, 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 who led nuclear submarines while she was in the Navy for more than two decades. And then you have she's the amazing. Witnesses. Right. Yeah, incredible background. Incredible. Then you have Cassidy Hutchinson, you know, Sarah Matthews, you know, who have stood up to power. And you wrote a recent op ed Republican women are meeting the moment for January 6th committee hearings time and time again. Can you speak to that op ed and, and the observations there? Yeah, I think it was important. Uh, like I worked with that, on that op ed with Barbara Comstock, who is a former congresswoman. Um, and she has been part of this, uh, I guess, sort of support network that has grown organically behind the scenes for um, those that come forward and especially the women. And I also include in that circle, especially fallen officers, uh, significant others and family members who really uh, came forward at the very beginning and really advocated for these January 6th committee hearings uh, because of the importance of them. And they felt like they were taking a stand for their loved ones and rightly so to get to the bottom of it. And so in that op-ed, we talk about um, Liz Cheney and uh, meeting the moment, like you said, and leading and taking a stand at great cost to her own career. You know, we are, things are not looking good in Wyoming right now. I want her to win um, more than anything. I say that sincerely, uh, but we've got, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, the, the crazy conspiracy touting election deniers out there who apparently are are doing quite well. So, you know, but it's voices like Liz Cheney's, um, Cassidy Hutchinson's and others. And I think it's been incredibly powerful. And I think it is important to have Republican voices coming forward and speaking about the facts. Um, and, and also, I think it serves as a warning uh, for the future, because you know, we're, we're seeing that Donald Trump is on the verge of likely announcing this candidacy for 2024. And what does that mean for our country? To me, that means the grave danger that we've already seen uh, unfold uh, under the Trump presidency that took place and in the aftermath of it with all these, these, you know, the stolen election lines that still live on today. Um, So I think it's an incredible. And in that piece, I think we also, we did talk about, um, the Georgia election workers, I mean, those those women were incredible and in the threats that they have faced um, solely for just doing their public service. Uh, I have to say that their testimony was powerful and I have thought about them from the very beginning, from the election, because I thought about all of these election officials that were facing these kinds of threats who never asked to be in the spotlight um, but yet in a moment's instant in a tweet or your name gets out there and the next thing you know, there's people showing up at your house, threatening your life, all for doing your patriotic duty, your actual patriotic. These are actual patriots. But I feel like that word has gotten misconstrued along the way. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, you left the White House in August of 2020. Um, you obviously had Trump's second impeachment that took place after January 6th. And a lot of these witnesses that. And, a, and a lot of these witnesses didn't come forward, you know, at, at that time. So in terms of uh, how do you reconcile, though, some of the witnesses coming forward now versus coming forward at Trump's second impeachment or even leaving the White House when when you left the White House, which was just saying, look, 
I can't be a part of these crimes. I can't be a part of, of, of what he's doing to our national security. H- how do you make how do you reconcile that? You know, and then to me, you still have a lot of, as Liz Cheney said, the 50, 60, 70 year old men who hide behind executive privilege and all of these other claims. So how do you make sense of all of that? Yeah, it's the political ambition, right? That's what causes the blindness. Um, I, I think you kind of see my former boss sort of operating that space where he somewhat comes forward, somewhat takes a stand and then retreats. And I think he's walking a fine line there because he is looking at his own uh, political ambition. But at some point, I think you got to decide like what's happening in the country should matter more over everything else. But I have come to realize in the last almost two years that I've been up here as a very public figure that uh, not all see it that way. Um, and I think that's that's a very unfortunate thing because uh, it's to the detriment of our country, to be honest. Um, I think I know you all you all understand that more than others, um, for sure. And, uh, you know, I with the with the impeachment, like I, I, I wish they would have come forward, you know, and, and those that did. I think what happened, though, is, you know, let, let's talk about the Republicans that did vote to convict Donald Trump in the second impeachment. A lot of them have either decided not to run again or um, they have been completely ostracized and they are facing very, very tough elections coming forward just for voting um, to uphold the Constitution and the rule of law and and rightly doing so. Right. And so I think you have all of these other people who watch that in real time um, and decided that they were not going to. Uh, be as forthcoming. And I'm, you know, I think at some point, probably now the violence um, and seeing how what happened in the events of January 6, I think it became a lot more real for them. But I mean, you look, they should have taken a stand back then. I think now the committees, you know, the facts are the facts, right? You can't hide behind that. So I think what you're saying is uh, the information's out there. And I think uh, there's a lot of people, more people that are coming forward that are like, okay, this is, you know, this is pretty damning. Uh, do I really want to continue to remain silent or maybe I can actually make a difference and stand with integrity? And, you know, to each their own, we all have our moral compass that we follow, I guess. And I think it's questionless for a lot of the, these Republican men, I would say is um, how do you sleep at night is, uh, is always what I wonder. Um, and I'm not talking about Stephen Miller hanging upside down like a, you know, like a bat, which is sometimes how I respond to people. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's usually how I respond to people when they ask how Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon sleep. I was like, oh, well, that's easy. But then I feel bad because then the bat people are like, hey, don't insult the bats. Yeah, apologies to, apologies to bats. Apologies, apologies to, to the, the bats. No, no offense the bats. meant to the bats. Yeah. Yeah. And then asking Especially how do they Batman. sleep at and then asking how do they sleep and how do they even get through the day? You know, what's so strange yeah. about watching these hearings is really how weak these men are it's it's just very strange to see that someone could be mean to them or just yell at these republican men and all of a sudden because someone's mean or yells or they get scared they're like oh i I don't know what to do i guess i'm just gonna have to do it like if you push back at trump he's a big man baby yet no no one but the women or you know or or democrats pro democracy what with a new coalition pushes back at this person and all he does is whine like a baby and i think if you had actual leadership just push back at him 
we'd all be better. It's just so weird. Like, I, I, I guess as a as a national security advisor, I'm not asking you to do a psychological analysis, but <laughs> what is it like? What is it, though, about that, that these that these Republican men just cower to just an idiot who's just mean and yells and throws ketchup? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it, it's it's it, you know, I think one, it is fear. Um, it's cowardice. And I think, I think, again, I think it comes down to political ambition. It's fear of losing power. Um, but I would say, I mean, is it, isn't it better to actually stand with integrity and actually make a difference rather than continue to pander to one man that actually doesn't deserve any of this at all? Um, any of the, any of this credit or any of this loyalty. And I think I just, I wonder like, what's it going to take? Because he has shown repeatedly that he has no loyalty to anyone, right? I mean, he, he will throw anyone and everyone under the bus for himself, right? And so including his most loyal person, Mike Pence, right? He'll send the mob in to try to kill him. And when they're, when he knows that his life is in danger, he will, he didn't do anything to stop it. Right. In fact, I mean, I, I think it was like very chilling. Um, I was at that hearing, um, the more recent one, the January 6th hearing. And I, it was so chilling to me at the end that at the end of the day, he was still so focused on Mike Pence. And those are like the last words at the end of the day. Right. Like he can't get over it. The fact that like yeah. Mike Pence like failed him. Like, and I just that says everything about him is that he becomes this narcissistic focused individual. Um, but, you know, who continues to break the law and um, in a very dangerous um, and damaging way to our democracy. I have to hear your perspective, Olivia, on what it was like to actually be in the room during that primetime January 6th hearing. What, what was that experience like? Yeah, so the, I've attended three of them in person. Uh, usually uh, the ones that I have attended have been because there have been staffers that I have known um, that were that were testifying that I know. And really it was there uh, mostly in support of them because it, uh, it is, it, you know, I, I know that people will say, well, it, it, you know, you're just telling the truth how hard it is. Yes. It, it's not hard to tell the truth. The thing is uh, this is a very ugly vitriol filled machine that comes at you when you come forward and tell the truth and they do it in all sorts of ways and they undermine your credibility. Uh, you know, interesting enough for women, it's always about the looks. They attack your looks or they undermine your standing as a career professional, right? Cassidy, I've been called the coffee girl. Cassidy was the coffee girl. Uh, you know, apparently there's a lot of coffee that gets served yeah, in the lot, white house because everyone's a coffee Lots girl. Of yeah, everyone's a coffee person, um, which is, you know, fine. But the coffee girls hear all or the coffee boys hear all. So I, it doesn't really change the facts because they witness everything and they know everything. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it, it's been hard uh, to sit through them. I'm not going to lie. Um, this more more recent one with Sarah Matthews and Matt Pottinger. I also worked very closely with Matt Pottinger in the national security space and have gotten to know Sarah Um I'll say was probably the hardest just to hear uh, the secret service detail. That was one of the more like chilling, frightening moments to hear uh, Mike Pence's secret service detail, their concern for their own lives and for the vice president and the fact that they were thinking about their families, thinking about saying their goodbyes to the families, I think is just so uh, demonstrated. 
Yeah. And I, it was, a, it was hard. And it was a, honestly, I w- it was very hard not to, I was fighting back tears, um, just listening to all of it while I sat next to the families of the fallen officers and some of the Capitol police officers there too. Um, and just processing all of that and, and hearing it in real time for me, um, it was like the culmination of having worked um, in and around under, you know, in government um, four years of the Trump administration, just the culmination of it right there and what it all, who he really is and what it all meant. And it was hard, um, but I think it was incredibly powerful to hear these accounts and as much as it's hard, you know, I, I know it's hard for the Capitol Police officers. I sit next to them and I can tell how how difficult it is to relive it and hear the footage again and again. But the fact of the matter is it's important for Americans to really piece it together. And I think the hearings have done a really good job of that. I think uh, the committee has done a very good job in presenting the facts and letting the Republicans speak for themselves. Uh, and also painting a strategic picture. Like I think a lot of the things we've known, right? We've seen the reporting, we've seen it piece by piece, it's very different when you um, sort of put it cohesively together and present it in such a manner and then just have these voices who were there um, living it for sound, giving the, the, the accounts of what it was truly like. Um, I think it's important. And like Americans at some point will have a choice of, you know, either there's accountability uh, for uh, the rule of law and ensuring that no one, no matter how powerful, no matter how rich you are, um, you actually get held accountable for your actions and that you're not above the law, which I think a lot of these people certainly behave like they think that they are. Um, I think that's incredibly important. I think it's important for Americans to hear this. And a lot of people will say, well, they're not having an impact. They're not afraid of having an effect. If they weren't damaging uh, to Donald Trump in this circle, they would not be lashing out and behaving. Exactly. The way they are. Exactly. And have you talked to Cassidy Hutchinson or Sarah Matthews uh, in the wake of these hearings? Do you know how they're doing, how they're handling all the attacks and then just all the attention? It's uh, I have. I've been in touch with them. Um, It is hard. Um, It's very hard. You know, and I think that they're uh, we've just been making sure that they're safe. Um, There's you know, they certainly get the threats and. Um, the attacks and look, there's, um, we know how this goes, right? There's a hit pieces being put out on them. Um, there's targeting. It's the usual lies, um, that are made up along the way. And, uh, this, you know, the, the right wing machine is powerful and, and relentless, but I think, you know, I, I think they feel confident that, um, they did the right thing for our country. Um, and, um, I'm really proud of them for it. Um, you know, it's it's not easy. Um, they're young. They have a long way to go in their careers and it'll certainly impact them. This will be something that follows them for the rest of their lives. And like, I'll be honest, like the vitriol that we get as women, um, you know, I've, I've been supportive of my male colleagues as well, but it is on a different level. It's, it's, it's either sexually violent or they, they really attack your looks. Some of the things, the comments that have been made are, are discussing um, even from uh, Trump's circle itself. And it's just interesting to watch kind of the way it happens, right? And then also watching the House GOP tweet during the hearing attacking Sarah Matthews, who by the way, is on the Hill, (laughs) 
working uh, for the Republican Party currently. And they, she, they called yeah. her the House GOP. For those who don't know, they tweeted they called Sarah Matthews that night just another liar and pawn in Pelosi's witch hunt. Those are the words they used. And you'll also notice they did not atta- attack Matthew Pottinger throughout the exactly. night. They only attacked Sarah Matthews and they quickly deleted that tweet. You know, the damage was already done, but they deleted that tweet. I guess when somebody informed them, guess what? Sarah Matthews works for you. Sarah Matthews, right now, Sarah <laughs> yeah. Matthews. Lifelong Republican. Yeah. And, and not a I, good luck. Not not a good look in, in the slightest. And and you've seen this this disinformation machine. And I'm I'm glad that now I think Americans are are wising up to this disinformation machine that happens because it's just so in your face now. When when somebody testifies, you see how all the smear articles come, you see how the House GOP tweets out things, you see how the memes start to be created. And it's like a coordinated disinformation machine that targets enemies, smears enemies. It's almost like they took the strategy of the Russians in 2016 and what the Russians tried to do with their troll farms in America. And they go, that, that's a pretty good idea, actually. We could use that. Uh, we could use that to cause some damage here. How do you think we push back, though, against this this sort of machine when they have such a huge megaphone between these digital platforms and the biggest cable news channels on the planet? Yeah, that's the most dangerous part of it, right, is that you do have a lot of these uh, pundits out there. And like you said, there's uh, these networks that continue to push um, some of these areas in a wind look. And when they actually show any daylight about these hearings, um, the vitriol, man, uh, this weekend, I think one of them was trending for it. And I was reading some of the comments about him when he had Liz Cheney on. And, you know, she spoke very freely and truthfully about the work of the January 6th committee. And boy, were they attacking him. And they were just like Fox News, like they were dumping on Fox News. And I was like, "Ooh, wow, this is interesting. I mean, there it is. Um, There's no opportunity for them to show any sort of truth. They have to remain as part of the disinformation, I guess, because this is what happens. And so this is something that they have created. Right. They have they have emboldened this and this is something that they continue to cultivate and pushing back on it. I think it's just, you know, I think it's important to continue uh, speaking the truth um, and getting also these voices who are out there who know what this is and can call it for what it is. I think Liz Cheney did an incredible job um, this weekend. Just, you know, it's really just responding with facts. Uh, The issue, though, is. getting, um, educating Americans also. I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen even at the civics level and with like social media literacy and really understanding what is really happening here in the moment. And then, you know, I think there needs to be, you know, I'm wondering why some of these other more extreme platforms um, don't hold themselves responsible because a lot of these more far-right platforms are dangerous, right? Those are the platforms where some of the most like dangerous actors post and then they go and actually carry out events. And they're posting the vitriol on there, they're posting the same narratives and rhetoric. And then you have some of the mass shooters that often post on these other platforms and then carry out their attacks. And so at some point, you know, uh, you've got to look at the owners of them and be like, is that really what you want for our country? You're enabling violence and you're hurting Americans. Absolutely. I mean, there's got to be responsibility for stoking that sort of behavior. I mean, they they know what they're doing when they're doing it, and they know that they're not uh, trafficking in facts in in any way, and, and that facts just don't matter to them. 
Now a quick break from one of our partners, Athletic Greens. This podcast hey. is... Oh, you're going to do it? You're going to do a sound? Yeah. Okay, I'm excited about Athletic Greens. <laughs> okay, got it. Stays in the pot. Keep going. This podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens, a product I use literally every day. I started using Athletic Greens because the regiment of gummies and pills, vitamins that I was taking was not working for me. And I needed to get everything, all of those vitamins and minerals in one delicious scoop. And that is what Athletic Greens does. You're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. All I do is I scoop that green powder, I put it in a cup, I shake it up, I drink it, and boom, I got all those vitamins, minerals that I need in a day. It's lifestyle friendly, so whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it's for you. It costs you less than $3 a day, so you are investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And tons of people like me take a multivitamin anyway, and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Right now, reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens will give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Again, that's A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S, athleticgreens.com slash Midas, and take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance that the Midas brothers use. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Now back to our interview with Olivia Troy. You brought up the Secret Service before, and I want to hit on that because as an insider, I feel like you do know the players here, and the Secret Service has come under fire in recent weeks for their apparent cover-up attempt for their involvement in January 6th, which I think has shocked the nation in a way that we never even expected, and specifically an agent that keeps coming up is an agent by the name of Tony Ornato, who was named White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Operations by Trump in, in December 2019, also pretty unusual for a agent to get a political appointment like that from a president. So what do you know about Ornato? Where do his loyalties lie? Um, is that kind of the person who we should be looking at and paying attention to right now? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, look, I think it's going to be interesting to see what comes of this. Uh, those of us that worked with Tony Ornato, uh, like he's a loyalist. You don't get put in especially a position that he was in like that without being a 100% complete loyalist, especially in the tenure and the moment that he was placed in it, because towards the end of the Trump administration, I'm sure you saw that Axios piece. Yeah. Uh, that should that should be alarming. Just just FYI, um, that that effort started um, when I was in the White House, and I was fully aware of it. I had conversations with other senior people in the White House about it. I will say that some of us were very alarmed, especially those of us who had already started to see national security leaders be pushed out for telling the truth about Russia and other things, people that I had worked with for uh, you know, over a decade in my career, that will only be worse the second time around. I mean, that was already kickstarted. Uh, and I, I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but that's something that I really think people really need to understand that that is a very real thing and a very dangerous thing. And um, it would be very damaging to our country. But uh, to get back to Secret Service, like. I think it's really unfortunate and I think it's brought 
shame to the Secret Service. Um, you know, it's an elite force. I, I have respect for the officers that I have worked with along the way. I, I came from the Department of Homeland Security and I got to know a lot of Mike Pence's detail. Um, a lot of these are, are solid guys, right, who were doing their job and really believed in the mission. But then um, it has been very alarming, especially when you hear about the records being deleted. I certainly, I don't, I find that very strange uh, that that happened. Um, I'm interested to see, like, I'm, I'm super curious just on a personal level, was Tony Arnato texting some of these agents? Like, where, what was happening in those days in the lead up? And like you said, I will say this, um, it is very strange for a Secret Service officer to take a role like Tony Arnato did and then actually return back into the service. It's different if he had been serving in the national security role, like myself or the national security advisor, or you right. serve on the National Security Council. There are Secret Service people that serve and they rotate, they serve as part of the national security apparatus, and then they rotate back. That would be different. But to take on such a political role like that, I think, I think we're seeing it now, creates a dynamic where I think the Secret Service uh, really exposed themselves to this situation. Um, I'm just going to be honest. I don't trust Tony. Um, I was told <laughs> by others uh, who were really in that inner circle to be careful. Um, I was never told directly why to be careful, but when you're told to be careful yeah, and it's someone pretty senior that tells you that you pay attention, what, <laughs> you, what, know, what did, you really, what did your gut say <laughs> when, when, when people said you should be careful of that guy, what did your gut say about uh, like why, Well, you know, the spidey sense goes up and you sort of are careful about the conversations that you have in the hallways, because, um, that to me tells you something about that person's character. Um, and I, I, I find that interesting. I also gave you some inside scoop there on how the internal workings of the West Wing <laughs> sort of interacted there, right? In terms of yeah. that the fact that this these would be the kind of conversations that are very real happening amongst people there. Um, and I will say, you know, there's uh, been reporting on some of the stories that Tony Renato has told um, that he then goes back and retracts later on. And so I think he's got a track record here. So either either he embellishes things and tells stories in the moment and then retracts them later, or somebody's not telling the truth. And the fact that he's lawyered up now, uh, you know, there's been reporting on that, that they now have hired lawyers. I, I don't, I have to wonder, I mean, why not just come forward and tell the truth if you've got nothing to hide? If you've got nothing to hide, then come forward under oath or, you know, and just, and, and just say it. Um, but that doesn't seem uh, to be the approach that he's taken, which I think says a lot about him. Yeah. And they all feel very comfortable kind of refuting this through their anonymous sources to the press so that that kind of gets out into the zeitgeist. But then once they have the chance to testify under oath, all of a sudden they go silent. Uh, but they, but Cassidy Hutchinson and Sarah Matthews and all these people, they're not afraid to go under oath and say exactly what they heard. And I think that kind of says it all right there on a bit of a lighter note. Um, just how loud was the laughter when the footage of Josh Hawley was played of him running away at the Capitol in the room? <laughs> uh, it, it was loud. <laughs> it was a <laughs> of laughter. Uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting because it'd been such a serious um, hearing and just hearing a lot of chilling details and whatever. Uh, and I know that I'm there and then I saw it and I couldn't help it. I think I cackled and then, and then caught myself because it was just so unexpected because it was just like, 
seeing the image of him fist pumping in the air is something that just still today makes me irate. Um, I think it's so deplorable and disgusting that he would do that, especially when there were law enforcement and police officers fighting for their lives um, for hours, that's the way trying to protect people. Um, and there was loss of life that day, but seeing that image, but then like, you know, it's like chicken run, right? There he went. And then you see him. Like, I mean, I just like, all I was missing, I need someone to like add the soundtracks, which I think have been brilliant or like the yeah. chicken squawk when he's running yeah. away. That's we what did I one think of, them. of now. Yeah, <laughs> we, that, we, yeah, we did yes. the Benny, we did Benny Hill. <laughs> um, yeah, that was exactly what it reminded me of. Like, right. The chaos there. Um, yeah. Uh, again, uh, I poster child of uh, cowardice, I guess, is, is what I would say about him. Um, you know, caught in his own own lives like so many others but wow that was um yeah like i mean it was it, it was hilarious i mean nobody it was just such a moment of somewhat levity but just also the hypocrisy uh in full display right and in the guise of all of this thinking about you know and i you know i but that tweet came out by the way from the house gop i saw it happen in real time i wanted to throw my phone um <laughs> Because I was thinking about that. So you're thinking about the House GOP tweet attacking Sarah Matthews, and then you have Chicken Little or Chicken Run going across the screen. I mean, you're thinking about all of this combined, and you're just like, how are you not embarrassed of yourselves? Like, I, like, also, I mean, I know I was a lifelong, <laughs> like, I am a lifelong Republican. Like, at what point, like, is this just like, at what point? Did the Republican Party stop and say, like, look, we've become a joke. Like, this is just mm -hmm. not only that, we're a dangerous joke. Right. So I just it's so it, it's so infuriating and just so exhausting to kind of watch this and be like, can can you please get it together? At least can we like I, I just I want to get back to like, let's just go back to fighting about taxes or something please. instead of watching uh, <laughs> chicken run in action here. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, guys. Depressing. Uh, Olivia, I want to go back to something that you said earlier in this interview about the whole Teflon Don nickname and how that's probably not an app nickname anymore. Over the weekend, we saw, uh, what was it, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post both release op-eds basically going against Trump and saying um, the president who did nothing on January 6th. And then we also see Fox News, another Murdoch-owned shell company over there. Um, <laughs> releasing basically interviews with Trump supporters, previous Trump supporters asking, hey, will you support President Trump or will you support the former President Trump for another term? And them saying, no, I don't think I will. And airing that over the weekend as well. So what do you make of this sort of shift away? I'm not saying we give Murdoch any credit here, but it's definitely very intentional that that Murdoch is shifting the focus away from Trump saying, hey, that's no longer our guy and sort of putting more focus, I guess, on DeSantis and other candidates. I think, you know, I think this has been said, but I think it was, you know, I do think that to a certain extent, the dam is breaking. And I think, um, I think there is no way to get around the facts that these hearings have really surfaced and the focus of Donald Trump's behavior um, and his lack of care. <laughs> for anything that was related on January 6th to um, doing the right thing. And um, like, I, I, I think it's quite interesting. Like uh, my question is though, we've seen, um, I mean, granted we have not seen it from these papers, which I think is important. I think that's a sign of, they really want to try to move away from letting, from the fact that Donald Trump has a hold of the Republican party in the base right now. But 
I think I've sort of like, when I see things like this, honestly, um, maybe it's my, you know, counterterrorism background where, you know, you have to play the long game. I'm always looking at it and thinking, how long will this moment last? And will it actually remain? Because we've seen people be very outspoken in the past. We've seen them call things out, especially in the aftermath of generous and the immediate aftermath. You had a lot of Republicans give these powerful profound speeches about how it was horrible in the moment, right? And then they all retreated. And so um, I'm just curious, the second that Donald Trump announces that he's running for president, what will these publications say? Mm-hmm. Are they going to stay and stay along these lines? And are they going to say he's bad for the country and call it out? Or will it be a reversal again? And will they enable him um, because of fear of his supporters turning on them? And so I think that to me is a litmus test in the long run. And so to that point, though, what, what does your gut say? Because you're right, they've created this monster in Trump and it's almost like they can't get their viewers or readership to sort of turn away from that um, at a certain point. And so what does your gut say? It, if and when Trump says that he's going to run again, do you think these companies start to then prop him up? Or do you think there's going to be almost a, a civil war, if you would, within the Republican Party? I think it'll be interesting. I think I think it'll depend, honestly, on what they think, um, where the where they think the voters are, and where they think the support is, uh, and, and their terms. And so I don't know. I honestly, I think it could go either way. I think they are very aware that um, the more that Donald Trump is out there, um, it could mean it's damaging to their party. It remains damaging. It could have implications uh, for the midterm elections. I think they're looking at that. I think they're looking at how does this impact um, the party's power as a whole in terms of what happens in the future. On the other hand, um, we've seen Donald Trump, when he's at the microphone, he has a bully pulpit, he can really drive things forward. He certainly uh, led the charge on January 6th, and we saw the results of that. And, um, you know, I think Sarah Matthews expressed it very eloquently. She had, if anyone knew that his, you know, when he would put out, she testified to the fact that when he puts out a tweet, uh, their supporters hang on every word of it when he was on Twitter still, right? And that they really, they take that in. And so I think it'll be interesting to see whether they will, they will make a decision that they need to stand against Donald Trump and try to get to more of a rational, somewhat more normal Republican Party and support other candidates. Or will they decide that um, that they'll fall in line with them? And honestly, I don't have the answer to that. I think um, I, I, I think they're going to walk the fine line as long as they can. Um, do I think they want it to be him? Do they think they want his voice out there anymore? No, I don't think so. And I think many Republicans say that behind closed doors. But that's always been the problem, right? right. A lot of these leaders and a lot of these people say things behind closed doors. But behind closed doors doesn't actually make the change. It's, it's coming forward. It's coming forward like... Liz Cheney has at whatever cost to the party, right? It's it's Fred Upton's and others who have like spoken out and said, you know, yeah, this is damaging. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, so I don't know. TBD. TV, and hopefully, honestly, hopefully it doesn't even get to that point because hopefully we see Trump behind bars for what he's done to this country. Do you think we'll see justice ultimately? I hope so. Uh, Like I... I don't know how you look at all of these facts and not hold people accountable for their actions. And um, look, I I think we should be holding, um, if there's something there, people should be holding the actors in the secret service accountable for their actions. 
you can't preach accountability and then allow an entire federal agency to get away with with something like this. I think that's really damaging to the government institutions and to our democracy. So starting with that, and I hope that Donald Trump and this entire circle that really, who who knew, by the way, they knew very well that they were tr- trying to do something that was illegal and they were trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power. They were told by many others <laughs> repeatedly that this was the case. And so I don't know how you make a clearer case um, than that, but I'm, you know, I don't know. Ben, ben I'm not a lawyer, uh, <laughs> the attorney <laughs> at hand. Um, uh, but I certainly hope that there will be some justice here because I do think that honestly, from looking at it in terms of the international stage, I think the world is watching and, uh, we can't, uh, claim to be the beacon of democracy and the beacon of the rule of law and stand for justice and allow, uh, this and, and give this a pass. I would say, I think that would speak volumes to the rest of the world uh, in terms of where we are then as a country. It's it's such an excellent point. And if I can, before my brothers cut me off, I'd love to end this interview on a little bit of a lighter note. Um, And if we can do so, I'd love to chat a little bit of gossip. Do you know who Clark Kent was when you were in the hearing the other day? And for those listening, Clark Kent was the very good looking man who was uh, became an instant (laughs) meme viral sensation for uh, obviously his- I gotta say, if you're gonna become a meme, becoming a meme for being (laughs) ridiculously good looking is like (laughs) the best best possible scenario. Like, (laughs) best meme ever. (laughs) That's true, that's true. You know, actually that is Sarah's significant other. Oh, who is there in support of her? Is this an exclusive? Is this might be yeah, a Midas Touch there. podcast exclusive? Um, he was there in support of her, uh, and I don't think that he ever imagined that he would become a, a very well-known internet sensation. Um, so kudos to him. He was sitting um, down. I was in the front row with him. He was sitting a couple seats over from me. Uh, look, and I'm grateful. That is a uh, that's an amazing example of a man standing by his woman, which uh, is awesome. Um, but yes, um, that's all who the that was. Prepare, I don't think he was looking for the fame. For. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were prepared for that one. You know, I think they were prepared, you know, the definitely the safety concerns and um, just the nerves that come with that. Um, in terms of <laughs> attempting forward like that, I don't know that so they were prepared for the fact that he would gain notoriety as well as who's the mystery man sitting back there. And I did, I thought it was, it was, it was very entertaining to see that people were calling him Clark Kent and who is this prim and proper gentleman? That's too funny. <laughs> so well, well I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, like- you know, January 6th committee, we know that they've had the production, <laughs> advice from you know top producers and showbiz but this is always an issue that i had with democrats too sometimes like republicans with the fascist republican blend that we have now does this performative lie but showbiz stuff that still is useful in catching attention i always like to say 
it's not performative when you really not just uh, talk the talk, but walk the walk. You're just making an announcement at that point. It's not a, pro and you need a little bit of that. You need to, you have to engage with the modern audience right now in, in formats that they do. And while it is kind of a funny tidbit that you have the Clark Kent and all of these things going around, it does create this attention though, that is drawn directly, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally, but it created this mystery like environment where people are there with the committee, you know, on their side to, to, to fight for our country. I think it's useful. I don't know what you think about. That. No, I think it's very important. Um, and I think it draws attention. And I think, uh, look, I think it was very important, especially at this one to have it uh, during the primetime slot. Uh, I think people tended to tune in more. And I think that, uh, you know, I think it's important, like when you hear the recordings, um, firsthand to share that and get that out. I think it's incredibly impactful because you can't, there's no way to fake that. Right. I mean, that is, that is just a uh, real footage. Um, look, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that Superman showed up in his disguise to the hearing and sat in the front and center. That also drew attention. Anything that draws attention to get the, the truth out about this in a world where disinformation sometimes unfortunately drowns everything else out i'm all for so you know kudos to uh mr clark kent that was there that day um in any way and uh like and i'm 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 kudos to the committee for uh painting the the just the juxtaposition of josh holly um and his fist bump to the mob and running away um shortly after it fearing it right so <laughs> Yep. Even Josh Hawley's home. It happened. <laughs> even Josh Hawley's hometown papers are basically calling him the, you know, photo of uh, of cowardice, you know, lo locally. And and I appreciate local journalism as well calling out people. I wish the national media would take a lesson or two from local media, but that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother time. <laughs> Olivia Troy, we so appreciate you for joining us on the podcast. We hope you'll come back. And not only do we just appreciate you on the podcast, we appreciate your friendship and we appreciate your leadership and everything you stand for, for this country. It's so great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Good to see you guys. So great having Olivia Troy. Quite the scoop. The Everybody, <laughs> what'd you guys think when I asked that question? I thought I thought you guys were going to kick me out the Zoom. No, no, I thought, no, no. I thought it's no, a, good, thought it's a great question. A, I thought it's a great time. Majority with, yeah, no, that's a very Jordy question. Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely to be expected. If any one of us were were to ask the question, it would be you. And you know, Jordy, I think you're really just stepping up in a big way lately. I mean, people are loving the YouTube videos for all the people who are listening to this. You got to check out the YouTube channel, oh, YouTube.com/slash Midas Touch. Jordy is delivering basically multiple times a day daily news updates and his kicking ass just doing an, an incredible uh, job so i appreciate it make... it's a team effort obviously and uh yeah please check out youtube.com slash minus touch but Love i think it. this january 6th committee i think is doing a historically good job i think they are to be commended every step of the way i am just so impressed by the professionalism by the way they are laying out the evidence and the evidence is damning and even just today uh, there was a new clip that was released. And I think it's interesting that they're, I think it shows that they're just going to kind of continue this drip, drip, drip of new evidence into the public until they get to their next round of hearings. I think that's basically what we're seeing. But Ben, tell us about the new clip that the committee released earlier today. New clip, new deposition testimony coming from January 6th deposition testimonies. This is previously 
unreleased witness testimony. And of course, we heard from the usual suspects that have been deposed before. And we got to hear from Jared Kushner. We heard from uh, Ivanka. We heard Ivanka. from what did you say? We heard from Ivanka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard from Eric. What's the guy's last name again? That Eric guy? Hirsch, 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 Hirschman. Man. Hirschman. Eric I always Hirschman. forget his last name, but he's such a character. I can't forget yeah, Hirschman's last name. We got yeah, Eric Hirschman. We got all those deposition testimony. But what one of the things that we got, though, was the actual remarks um, that were that Trump read on January 7th. This is the clip room. Everybody remember from the last primetime hearing where Trump said yesterday was a very difficult word uh, where he says, I want to begin by addressing the heinous attacks yesterday. And he says, I can't say yesterday and that he didn't want to say that the election is over. So those were like the two key things he didn't want to. I talked about this before on uh, on Legal AF. I think Jordy talked about this. Your analysis on this, by the way, I think was is so important because I feel like it's been so it's been so missed in the mocking of Trump for not being able to say the word yesterday, but digging deeper under the surface as to why he really had so much trouble saying the word yesterday and why I think he really targeted those words that he did not want to say in those speech with such precision. Your yeah, why don't you here, pull up? So why don't you pull up for our viewers? But I will do my best to break it down as well for the listeners. The the actual speech. Um, we know that it's called "Remarks on National Healing." Trump didn't write this himself, but we have Trump's interlineations and what he crossed off, and so which is released today by the January sixth committee. So I want to break it down. But we know that Trump even veered off from this speech when he actually delivered it on January 7th. So more words were actually cut out. But going to what the words he didn't even delete from the speech, but that he cut out as he was reading, he was supposed to say addressing the heinous attack yesterday on the United States Capitol. He didn't want to say the word yesterday because that would give it some temporal, some framing of what he was talking about being the insurrection the day before. And he wanted people to believe that the heinous attack was the attack by Democrats and the attack against him. Hmm. The he was saying that the attack was the election fraud that he erroneously and falsely and bogusly and criminally alleged was the heinous attack. So all of the deletions that he took out were either references to the fact that the election is over or to give any time proximity to kind of mush the words together to basically believe that the attacks that were taking place were attacks on him. And when we look at what he deletes in his remarks on national healing, that's what you see. So the first word he deletes is good afternoon. He doesn't want any time of when this thing took place, of when it's actually taking place. So he deletes good afternoon. And then he says, I would like to begin today's. I would like to begin today by addressing the heinous attacks. He deletes the word today because, again, he wants nothing framing of when this speech was given. So if this is replayed over and over again, it just looks like he's talking about the attacks on him. That's what he's trying to do here. He misses yesterday, so he doesn't cross that out um, in, in the speech. But then you basically go to the next paragraph where it says, the demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol defiled the seat of American democracy. And again, 
he deletes the next line about prosecuting them or going after them or that the DOJ should take action because he still believes this idea of infiltration and demonstrators could still be a way to blame it on the Democrats. And that's why he mm-hmm. keeps that and but deletes the rest. And then he says to those who engaged in acts of violence and destruction, he crosses off. I want to be very clear. You do not represent me. You do not represent our movement. And so he actually, in his thing, deletes that piece from the speech as well. Um, And then instead of saying you belong in jail, he deletes that and says you will pay. And so those are the lines that he basically leaves. But the point of it is he wants to make the speech sound like the attack was an attack on him and that it validated his claims. That's why he wanted to remove yesterday. Yeah, the ele- it was the attack on the election. It was the attack exactly. on my candidacy. It was the attack by Democrats. Oh, now, you know, this is ambiguous enough that if I read this, this I could be talking about Antifa here. I could be talking about Black Lives Matter here. Especially There's no right. reference to anything. And so it's actually that. it's actually smarter than we give him credit for here. And I know it's wild for me to say that, but it's very devious. The the specific words that he decided to use here, I think it's very important that everybody knows. And that's why above everything that was released in this uh, video that came out today from the committee, that's why this document and seeing that is so important and so damning. And I think actually speaks to his intent. And it's uh, just incredibly incriminating right here. It shows a lot of consciousness of guilt. Absolutely. One other fact I want to bring up, Governor Kemp, Brian Kemp of Georgia, is actually set to testify before the Fulton County District Attorney investigation through the grand jury process that's expected to take place today as the, as we're recording this. So um, we will let you know uh, what happens there if that actually did transpire. But that's pretty big news that Governor Kemp is testifying himself. And Governor Kemp, of course, is no fan of Trump right now. But, you know, who knows what these Republicans will probably uh, be giving Trump like a massage tomorrow. After <laughs> yeah, testifying right. Of course, him. I'll vote for him. Why wouldn't I vote for the guy? <laughs> uh, Jesus. Um, I, I also want to, you know, we, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also the update in the Fawny Willis investigation today, where they actually, a judge actually disqualified Fawny Willis from investigating the state Senator Burt Jones, uh, for whose opponent uh, Fawny Willis had fundraised for. I think this was a misstep, actually, in Fawny Willis's investigation, I will say. This only affects this specific target of the investigation, this senator, the state Senator Burt Jones, who she was targeting to. They're saying she cannot preside over this. But I think it shows you why these investigations need to be so tight and why, you know, through all the frustration that we do have with Merrick Garland and wanting him to go faster. And I totally understand it. And I feel the same way in many regards. But that's why it is important to keep such a low profile, because when you don't and when you start stepping out, these sorts of things happen and we don't want these things to happen. And we're lucky that it's just for this state senator and not like Trump or or somebody like that. But I think it shows you that these cases need to be laid out in such a methodical way. They need to be done very much behind the scenes because we cannot have unforced errors like this, you know, especially when we're going after the big fish. It's, It's so important that we run as smooth, as above board of prosecutions as possible. You don't want to give them that ammunition to come against you for for BS reasons. And so that's why, you know, I, I just all prosecutors just they got to maintain a low profile and just just keep mm. on with their investigations. So stuff like this doesn't happen. You know, it's what I've always said on Legal AF about the Merrick Garland investigation. We all wish it would go quicker 
But at the same time, I always say, look, the funny Willis hasn't indicted yet. Um, you know, in New York, they haven't indicted yet, you know, and Merrick Garland has secured like hundreds of convictions already of insurrectionists. They've tried multiple cases where people have been found guilty of the highest crimes in kind of instantaneously. And you have to keep a very kind of low profile for these exact reasons in these investigations. You know, you can't. There's so much effort by these insurrectionists to try to get out on a technicality that if literally every I is not dotted and every T is crossed, they're going to make every single argument in the world to get out of these things. And that is a real possibility. So I, I share the frustration that Merrick Garland has not moved quicker, but that really isn't a frustration directed at Merrick Garland. It's a frustration of the fact that that's the way our Department of Justice works generally when it works well. And we'll have to reflect upon what the outcome is when the outcome happens, but make sure that, you know, as much information and evidence gets out there. And if you ask me, do I think that there's enough evidence to criminally prosecute Donald Trump? I would say absolutely. Sometimes when you hear the January 6th committee members get asked that question as well, and they kind of slightly dodge the question too. It's because they don't want to inject politics in it to create any conflict of interest situation as well, which is why you see them ducking. And, I, and I, as, as we close out, I do want to give a final, you know, just kind of shame on you to the New York Times. I got to use this platform in my final thing just to do quick shame, shame on you to the New York Times. <laughs> but, it, but it's not just New York Times. It is a reflection of the overall media because the words that they literally use we talked about this at the beginning, liberal, conservative, the way they talk about foreign policy, the words are not equipped to refer to the fascism that we're seeing. And they refuse to deviate and like go outside of their words. So you get this like bizarre hodgepodge of meaningless gobbledygook that conflates Biden's foreign policy with Trump's foreign policy. And the headline of this article is on U.S. foreign policy, new boss, referring to Biden, acts a lot like the old one. And it goes through the policies um, in kind of weird kind of broad ways. And then at the very, very, very bottom of this article, uh, I, I literally read the article because it's like this is like the throwaway line as you have to read the full article. Ultimately, the biggest contrast between the presidents and perhaps the aspect most closely watched by American allies and adversaries lies in their views on democracy. Mr. Trump complimented autocrats and broke with democratic traditions well before the insurrection in Washington on January 6, 2021. That congressional investigators argue he organized. Mr. Biden has placed promotion of democracy at the ideological center of his foreign policy. Seems like it should be like the number of the first sentence in the article or the headline, like the headline, a, a time for choosing democracy versus fascism, President Biden versus the vision of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. And I, I honestly, this here's a challenge. Here's a challenge to the people who listen to this. Here's a challenge to our biggest haters who send me the hate mail every day, the hate email that calls us the far left communist, whatever. OK, I challenge you this. Find me something we said in this episode that is far left and scary and. 
and communist. Find me one thing. Was it when we said insurrections are bad? Was that the thing? Was it when we said that public health emergencies, that someone needs to take charge and that vaccines are a good thing? Is that the far left uh, part of this podcast? I think it's going to be us defending Fauci. I think that's, I think that's what they're going to say. Find me one, find me <laughs> one thing, one thing. That's the, the Midas Touch podcast challenge to all the haters of this podcast who sat there. Find me one thing and tell them, was it our support of Ukraine and democracy across the globe? Find me one thing, one thing. And that's denouncing why- Denouncing Nazis in the Republican party. I'm yeah, denouncing Nazis. Which part of this episode is far left? That's my challenge right now to everybody listening to it. And that's my challenge also to the media and why this idea of balance is outdated and it's untenable in reporting right now. Because by just saying the things that we said on this podcast, by calling out fascism, by saying Nazis are bad, by saying democracy is good, then you go, oh, that liberal organization might as such. That shouldn't be the barometer of any. That should not be how you report. You know, you need to call it out for what it is. And it's true because, look, while many of our (laughs) our views align with liberal and progressive views because we believe in things like uh, deadly pandemics are bad. Insurrections are bad. Democracy is good. um, People should have the right to choose. Women should have bodily autonomy like those beliefs are like all of a sudden radical liberal, you know, views. And that's why we refer to ourselves as pro, we're a pro-democracy media company. We are a pro-democracy group, but everyone's like liberals, lefty liberal group. There's literally like, I, I, I mean, one I, thing, that's but, all I'm saying. <laughs> one thing. And one. I'm pr- by the way, I'm, I'm proud that those views would be liberal views. I'm proud that those views are, you know, that we want to make progress in the country, but these seem to be fairly level-headed, normal views that we should all agree on. Hey, Nazi Germany was bad. That was a bad thing. The Nazis in world world war two, we rooted for the allies. That's important. Our allies abroad today are important to us. Liberal. I don't support Vladimir Putin. (laughs) Lib. Lib, 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 <laughs> wild lib. But, you know, that's what's at stake. The media needs to use different language. The media needs to step up. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm proud that Midas Touch is pioneering what media should be. I'm proud about all the support of the Midas Mighty. And let me just give this message to the Midas Mighty, too, because they ask, oh, how could you help? You know, we'd love, we'd love to help. Well, one of the most basic ways you can help is you can share this podcast. You can spread the message. You can subscribe if you watch this on YouTube subscribe on the audio, you know, go wherever right now, go to wherever this podcast is available and subscribe to Midas Touch, the audio podcast right now. Subscribe on YouTube. Everyone who's left those super contribution thing with the little dollar sign on YouTube, for those who watch it on YouTube, thank you very much for those that help support independent journalism and independent media as well. Um, we appreciate everything you do. Check out the, the Midas Touch merch store, store.midastouch.com, store.midastouch.com. We have a new shirt, Don't Coo It. It's, uh, don't Coo It. It's a picture of uh, what appears to be a Republican running 
scared shitless away from an insurrection that they helped inspire. That seems to be what the image signifies. Go to store.midastouch.com. Special thanks to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Everybody, remember, you can check it out by going to athleticgreens.com slash Midas. That's athleticgreens.com slash Midas. And always a pleasure when we have Olivia Troy on the podcast. We will see you next time on the Midas Touch podcast. Thank you for fighting for democracy with us each and every day and each and every podcast. Jordy, take it away. Shout out to the Midas Mighty!